Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 13. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him, and asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, note this, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus' ministry is taking off. Multitudes are following him. The idea of him being the Messiah and being the Christ is beginning to catch on. And people are getting excited. They are, so they, they, they are having visions, as we mentioned earlier in the service. Visions of the kingdom coming back. Visions of some sort of grandeur. And people are coming to Jesus because they recognize his miraculous power, his divine power, his divine nature. And they're coming to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus for healing. They're coming to Jesus for blessing. They're coming to Jesus to solve their earthly physical problems. But they're having the wrong expectation of Jesus. They know he's Messiah. They know he's Christ. They know he's King. And they're looking for something physical, something earthly, something that was really awesome in this day and time. A victory for the here and now. And many folks today are doing the same thing. Many people today are looking for Christ to do something in the here and now. Yeah. The earthly, the physical, mm -hmm. the victory over the here and now. Speak victory over it. Just speak life over it. Restore my finances. Restore my prestige. Restore my self-esteem. 
And there are those who make millions of dollars selling books to tell you how to harness the power of the scriptures to enjoy this earthly blessing now. Yeah. But it doesn't work. Yeah. And even if it did, what's the benefit? Yeah. Let's suppose the prosperity message is right. And that by simply believing and having the right faith, I can believe my way into a fortune. I can believe my way into a seven-figure job. Now, I know most people want a six-figure job. Why think small, people? Let's get after it, right? I can believe my way into a seven-figure job. A big house with a pool. The pool needs to be both an indoor and an outdoor pool because winter happens, all right? I want a yacht, a car, a bass boat, a private jet, and I want to go anywhere I want to when I want to travel when I, when I want to. I don't want to be hindered by responsibilities. Let's suppose I could believe my way into that. When I die, what becomes of it? It all goes away. We, oh, no, no, that's, all that stuff sounds nice. But it's temporary. Yes. It's temporary. It's like being class president in high school. It's temporary. It goes away very quickly. Jesus is traveling and he's preaching and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They come to him for healing. They come to him for physical healing, for physical blessing. And he redirects their attention from earthly things to heavenly things. And he teaches them to repent and to believe. Mm -hmm. He calls the people to turn to the Lord. And he teaches us how to do that. In this passage, we see people bringing their children to the Lord so that he can bless them. We see the rich young ruler come to the Lord trying to find out how to enter into the kingdom. The rich young ruler, he didn't get rich by being stupid. This man's a good investor. He recognizes a stock on the upswing when it's on the upswing. He gets in on the ground floor. How many times y'all heard that? You want to get in on this deal on the ground floor? They told me 20 years ago I needed to go to work for Clear Channel because they were starting the process of buying stations all over the country and automating them. Oh, you want to get in on that deal on the ground floor? They laid off a thousand disc jockeys last week, okay? That's... You may get in on the ground floor, but you don't want to, but you want to be on the ground floor when the elevator breaks. Okay? And that's a rich young ruler. He wants to get in on this DLC. He wants to get into the kingdom. How do I do this? How do I get a piece of this? Where can I buy the stock? And Jesus takes the occasion of the children being brought to him. He takes the occasion of the conversation from the rich young ruler. And he uses that to turn people's attention to heavenly things. To enter the kingdom. That's what Jesus is going to talk to us about today. He's going to talk to us about entering the kingdom. To enter the kingdom, we must approach God as little children. Now, I've seen this passage used to justify youth ministry. And obviously, we should have youth ministry because it's easier to receive the kingdom as a little child when you are a little child. But this is not talking about youth ministry. This is not Jesus saying, go ye therefore and hire a youth director. He's telling us to be as little children. To enter the kingdom, we must approach God as little children. We'll talk about what that means. We'll also learn that self-reliance and pride hinder 
entrance into the kingdom. And by the time we get through with this, you may be like the disciples and say, man, this is impossible. But what we're going to learn is what is impossible with, with man yes. is highly possible with God. Yes. So let's talk about the kingdom. To enter the kingdom, we must approach God as little children. Yes. Verse 13, they brought, unto, they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. People were bringing young children to Jesus to be blessed. And the disciples were annoyed by this. Well, of course they were annoyed by this. See, Whitney Houston hadn't been born yet. We had not yet learned that children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way, right? We hadn't, we hadn't heard those lyrics yet. Now, back in Jesus' day, children were not esteemed the way they are now. Yeah. We see children as precious. We see children as tender. We see children as the hope for the future. And back then, mom saw children that way. Some dad saw children that way. But society at large saw children as nuisances or in the way. Children were dirty. They played out in the dirt all day. They had runny noses. They were in filthy clothes. They, they smelled funny. Children were dirty. They were nuisances. They got in the way. They got between your feet. They jumped in your conversations. They, 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 they ruined things that were precious. They broke the prize-winning vase. Uh, you have to feed them and take care of them. They were burdens. And children did not bring value. You know, I need somebody who can help me build a, a sled, and this child is not able to do that. And, and so, you know, when you've got Jesus teaching about the kingdom, and he's preaching, and all of a sudden people are bringing these children. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 we're, we're doing something important here. All right? Let's do this later. That's what was going on. Okay? And so the disciples were trying to run these folks off. Yeah. Because the children were getting in the way. The children were disrupting things. Children are loud. I love children. They don't think so some days because I get cranky. <laughs> but they are loud. Even when they're being quiet, they're loud. They're using the inside voices, but if you add up enough inside voices, it gets loud. The disciples are like, hey, we're doing important stuff here. Y'all got to get these children out of here. But verse 14 says, when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus told the disciples to suffer the little children. That means to allow the little children to come. Let the kids in. Let the kids come to me. Let them bring the children to me. Allow this. Let this happen. Because such is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, don't shut them out. They are precious. If we're going to place ourselves in the shoes of these little children, we have to realize that we too are precious. That's right. That God loves you. That the Lord loves you. Yes. For such is the kingdom. What's Jesus mean by that? To allow the little children to come because this is what the kingdom is all about. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is all about seeing those who cannot be empowered to be able to do. 
The kingdom is about seeing those who are filthy and in the way redeemed to being those who are clean and blessed. You read the book of Philemon in the New Testament. The book of Philemon is a personal letter under the, written under the inspiration of God, written by the Apostle Paul to a rich man named Philemon who hosted the church in his home. He had a house church, met in his living room. And Philemon had a servant by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus got tired of being a servant. I can relate to that. I've quit several jobs because I was tired of being a servant. But when Onesimus left, Onesimus didn't give Philemon a two weeks notice and leave on the right terms. Onesimus took some money from Philemon, stole some stuff, and took off and ran away. And he found Paul in the city of Rome. And Paul ministered to him and led him to the Lord. And then Onesimus wound up turning around and ministering back to Paul. And then Paul said, Onesimus, we've got to make this right with Philemon. you got to go home. And so Paul is writing this letter to Philemon to tell Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. In fact, he's going to be the one delivering the letter. And I want you to receive him, not as a servant, but as a brother beloved. Yes. Beloved to me and to you. Mm-hmm. And he said, and this man was at one time unprofitable. But it now is profitable to me and to you. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about redemption. It's about restoration. It's about taking someone who is in the gutter, who is in the ditch, who is down and out, and restoring them to being back on the road where they need to be. About taking the weak and making them strong. About taking the faithless and turning them into spiritual giants. About taking the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and turning her into a devout follower of Jesus Christ. About taking the leper and making him clean. Taking the blind and making him see. Taking the deaf and making him hear. That's what the kingdom is all about. Therefore, we should not shove the children out because they're getting in the way. I speak on a metaphorical level and a literal level, by the way. We shouldn't be kicking the children out literally either, or the literal children. But also, we don't reject people based on their social status. We reject no one on their merit. Because if social status and merit are the standards, then none of us measure up. You see, we are all like these little children. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the status. We don't have the merit. We don't have the attractiveness. We don't have none of that. We are these little dirty children that these people are bringing up there in the midst of all the disciples messing up their, their dinner party or whatever they're doing here. That's who we are. Yeah. And that's how we have to learn to see ourselves. Yes. Verse 15, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Mm-hmm. I've heard it preached that If you don't reach somebody by the time they're 18, you don't really have a chance of reaching them. We know that's wrong. That's right. Because how many of y'all accepted the Lord as an adult? (laughs) 
I think as I look around the room and the, the testimonies I know, I think those of you who are adults, I think that's most of you. Receive the Lord as, a, as an adult. All right? What this is saying, it is easier to lead a child to Christ than it is to lead a 60-year-old man. I will confess that. But what this is saying is that to receive the kingdom as a child. It's talking about to receive things as a child would receive things, to come before the Lord as a child with the humility of a child. To receive the kingdom, to come to the Lord as a little child, is to come in total humility. Now you notice that these children did not just march up to Jesus the way the Pharisees would march up to Jesus. They didn't march up to Jesus and start a theological debate with Jesus the way the Pharisees would march up to Jesus. The children did not come to Jesus demanding things of Jesus. They did not come to Jesus promising things of Jesus. They had nothing to offer Jesus. They had nothing to expect from Jesus. They made no demands of Jesus. They were just there being brought to Jesus, being placed at the mercy of Jesus. Nothing to bring. These children all had empty hands. We send our kids to vacation Bible school. And we give them a penny. Put in the bucket. And the buckets are on a little balance. And with the boys or the girls, who brings the most pennies? That's who wins that day. Isn't that a fun game? These children don't even have a penny to take to Bible school. They come to Jesus with empty hands, with nothing. In order to receive the kingdom as a child... We must realize that we have nothing to bring to Jesus. We have no money that's worth anything to Jesus. We have no property that's worth anything to Jesus. We have no prestige that's worth anything to Jesus. I think that when you see a major celebrity accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I think that Jesus is rejoicing over the fact that one of his lost sheep has been returned to the fold. Yes. I don't think that Jesus says, oh, wow, Kanye has been saved. We can really get some things done now. No, he's rejoicing over the lost soul that was saved. Yes. We don't have fame or prestige or power to bring to Jesus because he's the creator of the universe. What do you give that guy? I mean, really. I had an uncle. He managed his personal affairs well. He, he was not what I would call a rich man, although he was a rich man, if you want to think about it, and, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. But he was a guy that had everything he wanted. He had the house he wanted, just a modest three-bedroom, two-bath brick home in the middle of Jacksonville. He had cable television with ESPN so he could watch baseball anytime he wanted to. He was retired, had plenty of money in the bank, uh, was married to my great-grandmother. Okay, there's a long story there. Um, but anyway, it had to do with a widower and a widow marrying each other. Um, but, but she cooked macaroni and cheese, which was his favorite, so he lived off that. You know, he had everything he wanted, right? And whenever his birthday came come around, all of us would be scratching our heads. What do we buy this guy? What do you buy someone who has everything? What do you get them for, for a birthday gift or Christmas gift? What do we bring Jesus since he owns everything in the universe? What are we going to bring to him? We have nothing to give. We have nothing to demand. We can't demand anything out of Jesus because he doesn't owe us anything. We simply place ourselves at his mercy. Yes. 
In verse 16, he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. The Lord honors this. Now, why do I I keep going back to this point? Why do I keep going back to the point that we are just beggars at the door of God's grace? Because when we forget that key element of our walk with Christ, of our life in Christ, of our salvation, of who we are, when we forget that, we begin to think that we're in a position to look at these other folks over here and say, ugh. We think that we're in a position like the disciples to tell the parents not to bring the children. Well, we're in a place to demand that people meet a certain level of expectation before they join our church. Where we excuse ourselves for not sharing the gospel with this person because, well, look at them. It would probably be a lost cause anyway. When we feel like we have the right to look down on other people, then we are becoming respecters of people. That's something that God is not and something he told us never to be. That's right. That's why we got to keep reminding ourselves of who we are. Yes. And so when you see the children in this story, that's who we are. We're the children. Yes. Secondly, pride and self-reliance will hinder your entrance into the kingdom. We look at verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, Scripture tells us in verse 22 that this man that came running to Jesus was a rich man. He comes to Jesus asking, What shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to enter the kingdom? How do I get in on this deal? What's he asking? He's not asking how to be saved. He's asking what he can do in and of himself to warrant salvation. What can I do to make sure I'm saved? What can I do to earn salvation? What can I do to solidify this? That's what he's asking. This is a man of means. He's got money. He's got prestige. He knows how to get things done. You show me a man with a fortune in the bank, I will show you a man, unless he inherited it and he's just spending it all off over his lifetime, I will show you a man who knows how to get things done. And that's who this guy is. He knows how to get things done. Donald Trump knows how to get things done. I mean, say what you want in favor of him. Say what you want against him. But I will give him this. He knows how to get things done. And you're watching the news and you're thinking, man, he's, he's floundering. He's all, this, and all of a sudden, boom, we've got a trade deal with China. Where did that come from? You know, again, I'm not getting political. I'm not making endorsements. I'm not expressing admiration. I'm just telling you the dude knows how to get things done. Bill Gates knew how to get things done. Steve Jobs knew how to get things done. Warren Buffett knows how to get things done. This rich young ruler, he knows how to get things done. Listen, there's a formula to this. You write a mission statement, you follow through with it, boom, there you go. Got to have a business plan, a business model. All right, Lord, what's the business plan here? What's the business model? What's the exchange rate? Like this man, as long as we think that there is something within us or something we can do worthy of salvation, then our faith in the Lord is being hindered because our faith is actually in ourselves. Mm -hmm. In verses 19 through 20, Jesus is going to work on him here a little bit. (laughs) 
He says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. He's pointing out to this man, you've got a deficiency. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Jesus took him through six of the Ten Commandments, and this man told Jesus that he had kept those. Brother Jimmy said earlier he lied. Jesus didn't even address that. He says he's kept these six commandments. He probably honestly believes that he's kept those six commandments. People that believe that you can lose your salvation by falling into sin actually believe they have not committed a sin. They have deceived themselves into thinking that they are without sin. And the Bible says in 1 John that if we tell ourselves that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But you can deceive yourself into thinking that. You can justify your behavior so that it's not really covetousness. It's not really theft. It's not really adultery. It's not really lying. My mom and dad are not honorable, therefore I'm not under the obligation to honor them. Okay? We can justify ourselves with thinking that we haven't sinned. That's self-deception. That's what this rich young ruler has done. He goes, oh, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I've done it. I have lived a good moral life. Jesus doesn't even argue with the man about whether or not he's broken those commandments or whether or not he has righteousness in himself. Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issue. In verse 21, then Jesus, then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, and I want to highlight that, beholding him loved him. We forget this part of the story many times. Yeah. Jesus loves the little children. Okay, He loves those of us who come to him as little children. He loves those of us who are still in the ditch. Yeah. He loves those of us who are on the road. He loves those of us who come to him in humility. But he loves those of us who are still struggling with sin, those of us who are struggling with pride, those of us who just don't seem to get it. He still loves us. But verse 21, he said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. You know what's hindering this man's interest into the kingdom? It's his pride and his self-reliance. Yes. He built a fortune. He knows how to get it done. That's all he's known is how to rely on his own skill, his own wit to get her done. And he's self-reliant and he has this money to fall back on. He has the next 18 months funded if he doesn't make another dollar, but he knows how to make another dollar, so he's going to make it past the next 18 months. He's got security. He's got a retirement plan. He's got insurance. He's got investments. He's got it. And that's what his faith is in. It'll be okay because I have this. I know how to do that. I have a plan in the event of this. And Jesus said, that's your problem. You're not learning to trust and you're not learning to follow. He says, go and sell all that you have. Okay, we're going to liquidate. And then give it all to the poor. You know what he won't have anymore? 
He won't have his investments no more. He won't have his nest egg anymore. He won't have his security fund anymore. He'll have to live one day to the next, trusting the Lord. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? That's a hard thing to do. And when you can't tap into your Swiss bank account, you don't hold your head as high anymore. Your pride is going along with your stuff. This young man went away grieved because he's got to make a decision now. Mm-hmm. And we assume we know what decision he made, but he's got to make a decision. Mm-hmm. He's either got to totally let go of everything he thought he knew about himself and his abilities and allow himself to become helpless and trust the Lord and to put himself in a place that absolutely scares him or he's got to pass up heaven altogether. This guy went away grieved. How many of us are in that are in that space? We know what we. I'm not preaching against financial success or financial stability. What we're talking about is where is your heart, Amen. and are you self reliant, or do you have it covered? Do you have the plan, or are you trusting God with all all of that? The stuff that you have in the bank, and I hope it's a lot. I mean, I like to see people who have made, you know, who 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 are blessed. I like to see people who are blessed. But the question is, is that yours? Is that your kingdom that you built with your own two hands? Or is that what God's blessed you with and made you a steward of? And you're still trusting him. This rich young ruler is about to have to let go of some pretty dear things to himself. We need to learn to trust the Lord. So that if we're called upon to let go of that which is dear to us, we'll be able to do so. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? I want you to imagine selling your home and everything right now, selling everything you own, letting go of all your bedrock, all of the stuff that you have been finding security in, and move someplace else and start from scratch. Imagine doing that. That's hard to conceive. That's hard to do. That's hard to think of, isn't it? The disciples thought so. Because they thought that this was impossible. And if any of this seems impossible, final point, all things are possible with God. The Bible tells us, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Because the pride and self-reliance that comes with riches, Jesus pointed out that it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Because he has so much false security, he thinks that he is in charge of something. He thinks that he's accomplished something. He thinks that he can hold it up on his own because of all the accomplishments he has in life. And Jesus says, it's hard to let go of that. How hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? Nebuchadnezzar walked out on his balcony. I I picture it being a balcony. Walks out on his balcony one day. I have a lot of imagination when I read the scriptures, so I'm kind of imagining... King Nebuchadnezzar walking out of his bedchamber onto the king's balcony, which you can only access from the king's bedchamber, and looking out over that great city Babylon and looking at the splendor of his kingdom and saying, is this not my kingdom which I have built with my own two hands? Now, he did say that, that I have built with my own two hands. And the Bible tells us the Lord struck him down where he became as a beast. You You know how bad 
God wanted to save Nebuchadnezzar, he had to break him down to the lowest form to get him to where he would trust in him. Yes. God had to get extreme. Yeah. That's the problem. We look out over our kingdoms, we think, I built this with my own two hands. God says you need to learn to trust and learn just how much you don't have control over. That's impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. I'm not saying that God's going to turn you into Nebuchadnezzar. But you see the difficulty. In verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. Jesus just said rich people can't be saved. No, that's not what he said. But they're astonished. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Hey, you do realize that not all the, all the, all the disciples were not poor people, right? Yeah, right? Peter was a successful businessman, had a fishing business. He had seen financial success before. Jesus said, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? By the way, definition of rich, somebody that has more than I do. The, the idea of calling people rich people has a certain level of covetousness to it. Um, but anyway, because I look at Warren Buffett and I say, that's a rich man. And I've got folks back in East Texas that look at me and say, that's a rich man. Now listen, if we're in a group of friends and I'm the rich guy, we got problems. But anyway, notwithstanding, the disciples are astonished at this. And Jesus knows they're astonished. And so he looks at him and he says, you got a problem? He says in verse 25, he says verse 24 and then 25, children, how hard is it for them? Notice what the problem is. It's not that they have riches. It's that they trust in riches. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom? It's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Now, I, I read a commentary and I heard this preached where they had a gate at Jerusalem, or maybe it was Jericho, but there was a gate in the city that was really small yeah. that to get a camel to go through it, you had to, get, you had to take all the stuff off the camel he had to get the camel down on his knees and kind of push him through there. Yeah. Guys, there's other gates to the city, all right? It's easier to get in. Just, just take the expressway. And I believe that until I went to seminary, and Brother Brock, who is highly knowledgeable on these things, says there's no archaeological evidence that such a gate ever existed. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Is Jesus literally talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle? Uh, yeah. Because in order for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, in order for someone who is, is relying on riches to go into the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a supernatural, miraculous event. Yes. Which is what salvation is. Mm -hmm. My salvation was a supernatural, miraculous event. And so was yours. Because idiots like me don't just suddenly come to a knowledge of the truth and accept Jesus. Something has to work within our soul, you see. Amen. That's supernatural and miraculous. Yes. But this disturbed the disciples. In verse 26, And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. I want you to notice, the disciples didn't say, 
Well, how can we save rich people? God, we need, uh, Jesus, we need somebody to fund this venture. No, when Jesus said it's hard for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom, the disciples say, well, then who can be saved? Here's a little secret for you. You don't have to be rich to trust in riches. You don't. You can be poor and still trust in riches because you're still looking for the finances to solve all your problems. How many times have you heard somebody say, if I had just a little bit more money, I could fix my issue. I could, I could solve all my problems if I just had $10,000. Um, Glenn Beck, I was listening to him on the radio one day. He said he has all these guys that come up to him asking him for money. Glenn Beck, if I only had $500,000, I could change the world. You know, people, you know, I mean, just because you don't have money doesn't mean you're not looking to money to solve the problem. And the disciples, they don't say, oh, how hard is it for rich people or what rich man can be saved? They say, wow, trusting in riches will keep you out of heaven. We're all in trouble. Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Y'all know what the disciples just did? They just saw themselves as this rich man. But the Lord comforted them. With man, this is impossible. It's impossible for a man to put a camel through the eye of the needle. It's impossible with man to set aside one's pride, self-reliance, and, depend- and dependence upon the tangible. But with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Just as God can supernaturally shrink the camel and put it through the eye of a needle, God can supernaturally teach us to depend on him and not on ourselves. Okay. See, we have to be careful that we don't stand before God with pride because we didn't do nothing we got to be careful not to stand before God saying God look at what I did God look at how good I've been we got to be careful not to be that Pharisee standing before the temple saying God I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here God I thank you that I don't have a face tattoo God I thank you that I don't have a drug problem God I thank you that I'm a good man Because the Bible tells us that's pride and that's what God resists. But the publican who has both the substance abuse problem and the face tattoo is standing before the Lord beating his chest saying, or putting his hand on his chest saying, Lord have mercy on me a sinner. Jesus said that's the one who went home justified that day. You see, what this passage teaches us is that we are to come before the Lord in humility realizing just who we are and just how bad we need him and trusting him to have that mercy on us and this is a biblical concept those who come before the lord in humility he lifts up those who come before the lord in pride he puts down god has a pattern of lifting up the humble and putting down the proud resist the proud Lift up the humble. Yes. You want to be the humble. So when you go before the Lord in prayer today, go before the Lord realizing that everything that he's bringing into your life, and he's bringing the good things into your life, that's his love and grace that he's bringing yes. to you. Yes. That if he's allowing bad things to come into your life, he still loves you. Yes. He's allowing those things to transform you.
and to realize that and to be thankful for that. When you open up the scriptures and you read the Bible, you shouldn't be telling yourself, I'm glad I'm not that there Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. Man, how could Moses have done that thing? I wouldn't have struck that rock twice. Eve was stupid for eating the apple. Guys, that's pride and self-righteousness. We have to have the humility to understand that if not for the grace of God, we're the ones standing in the, in the garden talking to the snake. Amen. We're the king standing on the balcony bragging that he built his kingdom with his own two hands. Or we're the king watching the woman bathe on the roof of her house in the sunset thinking she sure looks nice. Or we're the Pharisees that just seem to not get what the Lord is all about. We have to realize that's who we are. Yes. Repent, ask forgiveness, yeah. but note how God, how the Lord loved each and every one of them, yeah. and He loves us the same. Yeah. Amen.